My name is Brad, and I'm the lead pastor here at Hillside Church, and I want to thank you for listening to one of our messages from Hillside Church. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking today. So if it's me speaking or if it's someone else, we pray that the message you are about to hear would allow you to know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. This week, I don't have a specific passage for you to turn to inside of scriptures. We look at the word of God today, not because we're not going to be looking at scripture, but because we're going to be jumping around to a few different places. If, if there's some place you'd like to go, if that makes you feel more comfortable, you could go to Romans chapter 8, but ultimately we're going to just be there even for a moment. We began a, a new sermon series looking at answering the question, what is the church? And last week, we began to explore this, this, this idea of what is the church? Why does the church matter? Why is this a thing that we do? What is, what is the importance of the church? We began last week by looking at the metaphor of the church as the body of Christ, and this week, as we continue to look at what it means to be the church through the different metaphors used inside Scripture, we are going to answer that question, what is the church, like this. The church is a family. And so that's the theme we're going to unpack today, that we are a family. That, that, and there, there are three things that I want to highlight for us that it means for us that, to understand what it means to be family. But there's a couple things I just want to give as quick sort of caveats to, to a metaphor like this, important things that I just want to share with you. Um, depending on your history and the part or the past that you have, this may be a metaphor for you that you can struggle with this. Um, not everyone is excited that the church becomes our family because not for everyone is the idea of, of God as your father, God as, as our heavenly father, can, is that comfortable? Or is that an understanding that we want to have? For some, their family experience growing up is not something they want another part of. That they may look at their experience growing up and the church is a family. And they say, I don't want another one of those. They may say, God is your father. I really don't want another one of those. That perhaps... The church, they looked at the church as an escape from their family, like, and that, that having another father, it's not joy, it's a weight, it's a piece of trauma that they would like to get away from, rather than something that gives them hope or joy. But we need to not allow the baggage and weight of the things that shouldn't be the way that they are, to rob God of the purity of his relationship for us, or his relationship with us and his heart for us. And I think it's important that as we talk about this, we remember that metaphors only go so far. And so when we talk about God being our father, the church being our family, it's not an extension of the relationship that we have with our families or our fathers. But as we talk about God as our father, he is the perfect father. And as we talk about the church being our family, it's a family being led and guided by a perfect father. We don't need to be ashamed or fearful of using the language that God himself used to describe his relationship with us. And the second thing that I want to just touch on is how we end up here. How we ended up in this family. What does it look like and how did we get here? We get a picture of this in Romans chapter 8 verse 15 which says, The spirit you received did not make you slaves so that you lived in fear. 
Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The gift of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and we're given adoption into the family of God. Our, our adopted father becomes our father in heaven. And this verse tells us specifically that we're adopted as sons. And your Bible may have a footnote here about detailing the reasons for this specific word. But it's actually important that, that sometimes when we, when we have texts like this, it can be tempting to say we've been adopted as, as sons and daughters. But the word that's used here for the word sons is actually an important word that if we add daughters to it, can do a disservice to it. But our, our, our metaphor, metaphorical identity as sons matters. And the reason why is, is we'll look at the next two verses. It says, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. See, to our identity as sons means that we are, all of us, heirs in God's family. To be an heir means that we are a fully-fledged, absolute member of the family. That you could be brought into a family, but you may not have been an heir. But God is saying you are brought into full and complete total membership in the family. Now, of course, today there is no distinction drawn between men and women in terms of the ability to be an heir. That somehow you don't need to have a son to continue on the bloodline. But in the time if you were adopted as a daughter, you wouldn't really have become part of the family fully and completely. But so when it talks about sonship, what it's really referring to is complete and wholeness. But if the idea for you, the idea that we are sons, or that, that, that metaphor, we sang that actually earlier. But the, if the idea for that is difficult for you, next week we're going to talk about how we're all brides. So the, it cuts one way, cuts the other. Um, and, and so as we begin to unpack the idea that the church is the family of God, we first need to look and understand that the church is a place of belonging. I want to read for you a couple of verses. and it, It's amazing how you can know a verse exists and then read it and then just be overwhelmed by it. Um, but for me this week, these verses just overwhelmed me. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 10, 11, and 12 say... In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Now, I just want you to listen to these next couple of verses. We're going to talk about what they mean, but just imagine yourself in this because it's talking about you. But the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are from the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. Verse 11 tells us something so utterly and amazingly profound. That Jesus, the Son of God, not only accepts us as his family, as his brothers and sisters, but it says he's not ashamed of us. 
He's proud of us. And verse 12 says that he, Jesus is going to go around to his other brothers and sisters, the rest of the family of God, and say to them, have you met my brother? Have you met my sister? They're awesome. Have you met this person? Have you met? He's part of our family. I don't know if you've met him, but man, they're incredible. Jesus said, it says, I will sing your praises. Now we often think, Jesus, let me sing your praises. But here it says that Jesus himself sings your praises, sings my praises to each other. That Jesus says, have you met my sister Barb? You are going to be blown away by her. And that's what he tells his other brothers and sisters, the rest of us. It's incredible. What a thought. Can you accept and believe that about yourself? That Jesus will and does sing your praises? See, our lives are always driven by this idea that if I do certain things, I'll be accepted. Our minds, our thoughts, and our expectations naturally drift in those directions in just about every area of life. Work, marriage, family, relationships, friendships, whatever it may be. The, the understanding and the expectation is if I act this way, if I do this like this, then it will allow me to be accepted. That if I want to be accepted by my wife, there are certain things that I have to do. If I want to do a good job at work, there are certain things I have to do. If I want to be a good friend, there are certain things that I have to do. And if I do them, then I will be accepted in this role. But that's not how a good parent should ever function. Our love for our kids should not be contingent on their performance. In fact, the home should be a place where if there's one place in the world where your kids can able to be truly themselves, it's the home. A place where they are comfortable enough to be shaped by loving and cared, caring parents that they can live knowing that on their worst day, their mom, their dad loves them so, so much. Now, the reality of that is that pretty much for all of us, this is more of an ideal than a reality. That human love is far more conditional than we would ever like to admit. And many may know what it's like to have dysfunctional parents. And some here may know what it's like to be a dysfunctional parent. Because to be human is to be dysfunctional on some level. But what we read about in these verses, do you remember what we just said Jesus talks about? What, what, he, what he proclaims about you? What we read in these verses show us that it's not because we've shed our dysfunction and shed our sinful nature and shed all that's wrong with us that causes Jesus to brag about us. But that we are made holy by the one who is holy. And because of that, it's not us. We didn't do it because the one who was holy, Jesus, is the one who makes us holy. His love for us is not based on performance. It's based on the nature of who he is and what he did for us. And so our ability to belong, our sense of belonging in the family of God, doesn't come from a place of having done well or failing. 
We don't live with a pressure to be perfect because we know we can't do that. And we don't live with the pressure of a fear of failure because we know that Jesus doesn't sing our praises because we succeeded after all we did. That it doesn't say that Jesus sang your praises because of all the good deeds you did. It doesn't say that Jesus sings your praises because how could he not look at you? He's lucky to have you and his family. It says, we are made holy by the one who is holy. He pioneered our, our, our righteousness. And because of that, he sings our praises. Our pray, I pray that Hillside Church is never a place that tells people that you can't belong until you do A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. This is the message of the gospel through the church as the family of God. That our belonging should be an invitation to others to come and belong. That, that this church would be a safe place for you. No matter where you're at. No matter how deep your sin. That this is a place where you can come in the middle of your sin and meet a God who has already dealt with that sin on the cross. Hillside needs to be a place where people feel like they can belong. Our belonging isn't dependent on our performance. It's dependent on Jesus' performance on our behalf. We don't belong to this family. We're not loved by our Father. We're not bragged on by Jesus because we're amazing. We belong because we're loved with a love that's not tied up in expectation and condition. We as a people understand that we are fundamentally broken. And yet we also understand that we are loved more than we could ever imagine. That on our worst day, Jesus loves us so, so much. The second thing that the church being the family of God means for us is that the church is a place of grace. Matthew chapter 12, verse 25, Jesus is confronting some Pharisees and some religious leaders, some people who were standing in opposition of him and the work he was trying to do. And they actually were making some pretty wild accusations about Jesus and where his power came from. And they were saying, he actually is casting out demons through the devil. And Jesus would say this. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. And every city or household divided against itself will not stand. When you have conflict inside your home, it's amazing how quickly that conflict can become divisive to everyone in the home. Even those who potentially are not involved in the conflict at all. If mom and dad are fighting... Even if the kids are not involved, it can be so clear how the kids are aware and can be brought into it. I know there's been times when Yvonne and I have been politely disagreeing with each other. And the kids have come and said, Dad, you shouldn't talk to Mom like that. Where the kids have come and they've given me a hug or Mom a hug and said, It's okay, don't worry, Daddy will understand eventually. 
When kids can go through periods of rebellion and the home becomes full of strife, everyone in the home is affected by it. What this speaks to is the idea that, that the family unit is just that. It's a unit. It, it's a together thing. Everyone is in this together. And what this verse shows us is that we cannot be a family full of conflict and division and continue to stand. We will fall apart. We will collapse in on ourselves. And if that's the road we try to take, if we try to say, no, we're, we've got conflict and we've got division, but it'll be okay, we're going to fall apart. The more, and the more people that belong to this family, the more opportunities there will be for us to discover division and fractures inside of the family if, if we're not careful. The church that Paul was writing to in 1 Corinthians was a deeply flawed and broken church. And if you want to hear more about that, we're going to have a Bible study in two weeks we're going to, where we're going to dive deeply into that in our Know Your Role study. But what you need to know is this church was a mess. It was a broken, flawed, fist-fighting during church kind of church. But the first thing that Paul addresses with them, that he pleads with them, is that he pleads with them to do something about, is to make sure that they work to heal the divisions among them. That of all the things that are going on, in, in the book of Corinthians, Paul tells them that... that, that they're, they're literally fighting during ta the taking of communion because they don't like each other so much and the divisions are so strong that one group is running up and trying to eat and drink all the communion before anybody else can get any because they don't want other people to have them. And Paul speaks to them and he says, I appeal to you brothers and sisters in the name of the, our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another in what you say that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Okay, that's... Alright, there goes my glasses. Well, um, that sounds great. Sounds great. Be united in one thought. Have no division. All think the same way. Thank you, Sally. You didn't know you'd have to be put to work coming to church today. Eh? However, what does this actually mean? Because it's a nice thought. But all of us don't agree with each other in everything we say. And we are not perfectly united in mind and thought on everything. I guarantee you tomorrow we will not all vote the exact same way. And it's not because some of us are dumb and some of us are smart. How do we actually walk this out? What does it mean? And I think the answer to this is found in the book of Galatians when Paul writes, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now sometimes when we read this verse or, or we quote it, and we talk about let's bear one another's burdens, let's carry one another's burdens, we think of it sometimes as like this altruistic gesture of like, here friend, let me help you carry that. Here I am. I am here to help you. Why don't you give me part of your burden and let me help you carry that. And sometimes it looks like that. But sometimes 
it looks a little bit like you're not looking to carry somebody else's burden. You're just living your life and somebody comes and drops a big burden on you. There was no altruism. There was no gesture. You were just the dumping ground. That's when we're called to bear one another's burdens. And sometimes someone's, someone in their attempt to bear their burden, their struggle can just cause you to become collateral damage. You happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing at the wrong time, say the wrong thing at the wrong time, or you just happen to be nearby. And somehow, them carrying their burden got all over you. And we bear their burdens. But as people go through life, sometimes we're, we're aware enough to be able to say, let me help you do that. Sometimes somebody comes alongside and you, they just say, here, help me do this. And sometimes you're just standing too close when the bomb goes off. But that's what bearing each other's burdens looks like. That's what it means to be a place of grace. That whatever your burden is and however I get your burden on me, okay, I'm going to have grace for you as you carry your burden. What does it mean to be united in mind and spirit? We need to view our brothers and sisters in Christ as those who are loved by Christ. We need to view people with the eyes of Jesus. It's the mind and the thought that we need to be united in. Not in every thought, not in every way, but in the mind and thought that they got their burden all over me. And it's not fair. It's not right. They're wrong to have their burden blow up like that. But they're my family. They're loved by God. And I'm going to see them through those eyes. They're my brother. They're my sister in Christ. And when I view them through the eyes of Christ, I see them with eyes of grace. And the last thing that the church being a family of God means is that the church is a place of love. Galatians chapter 6, a few verses later than what we just read, says this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. The thing that compels, that demonstrates to the world that we are the family of God is how we love each other. Jesus told us that. What that means is that we need to be a place of love not a place of moral perfection. It means that we are a place of single-minded devotion. And what that means is that this place would be a place where people would experience a single-minded devotion to Jesus Christ by tangibly experiencing our devotion to one another. And it makes people, it makes them want what we have. We want as a church for us to be that place. Not a place where people feel like there are burdens and hoops that they need to jump through in order to belong. Or that we can be a place where they come and they see the love of God expressed to them through our love for each other and our love for them. That people would say, I am home. 
These are my people. This is my family. What does it mean for the church to be the family of God? It means that we are a people who know and understand what it means to belong. How we came to belong and understand the importance of being a place of belonging for others as well. It means that we are people that allow others, even in their messiness, we allow people to experience the grace of Jesus. And it means that we are a people who love the Father because we have put our faith in the Son and received the Holy Spirit who has poured out God's love into our hearts and allowed us to know that we are loved and have the capacity to love others. I pray that Hillside Church is a place where people can experience what it means to be God's family. That they can find belonging that they can find grace for their burdens, and it's a place where they can know that they are so, so loved. As family we go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that when you created us from the very beginning, you said, it's not good for them to be alone. And for the, your first creation for Adam, you placed him into a family. And God, I thank you that that testimony, that story, that action, that way of life is true for each one of us. But it's not good for us to be alone. And so you placed us inside of a family. And I thank you that for us, Hillside Church is that family. And God, I pray that we would be a family the way that we are need to be a family. That we would be a family that would function the way that a family is supposed to. That we would be a family where we would know that we belong. And that it's not a belonging that's earned, but it's a belonging that's given. That we would be in a family that would extend the invitation to belong, not based on merit, but based on who we are as children of God. God, I pray that we would be a family that would exercise and just overflow with grace. God, we need grace for each other. We need grace for each other's burdens. We need grace for each other's messiness. We need grace for other people. And so, God, I pray that you would give us grace for when we get others' burdens all over us. That you would give us grace to help each other, that we would be able to love each other, that we would not be a house divided against itself, but that we would find grace. And God, I pray that you would help us to be a family full of love. That you would help us to be a family that loves, not because we're so awesome and not with a love that's just us, but God, I pray that you would help us to love with the love of God that you would help us to love in a way that is just above us, beyond us, and incapable of us, because we need to be able to love better than we can. And so, God, I pray that you would work in us and through us, that you would help us to be able to be the family of God, created, called, and commissioned to bring people into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We love you. We look forward to your work inside us and inside this community. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. To the one holding the needle 
to the one holding the knife. Thanks for listening to this message from Hillside Church. I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Hillside Church, there are a couple places you can go. Hillsideairdrie.ca is our website, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hillside Airdrie. You can also look us up on YouTube and find all of our messages on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to connect to the pastoral team at Hillside, you can do that through our website, hillsideairdrie.ca, and click on About Us in the main menu, and then click on Our Pastors. We're so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Hillside Church, we are a family, not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. As family we go. To the one holding the bottle, to the one holding the bag, to the one lost in the vapors of working hard to please fake friends, to the one who seeks acceptance from the fickleness of man. There is room at the cross for you. There is room at the altar. There is room at the pew. There is room at the table, a place for me and for you. It's not about being someone else. There's healing and being true. There is room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. for you.